All right, let's start the timer. we got 60 minutes. Let's pack it in. This is Money Talk, the Annex Wealth Management Show. In the next hour, good stuff. Uh, details about an inflation webinar that's coming up next Wednesday. We want you to be part of that. If you have heard about our webinars, they're fantastic. If you haven't been to one, this would be the one. Details are on the way. Ask Annex is coming up, too. And then we're going to talk a little bit about Generation X and retirement planning. That's all this hour. I'm Danny Clayton. Derek Felsky, our Chief Investment Officer. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Danny. Dave Spano is our President and CEO, Annex Wealth Management. Welcome to you. Yeah, thank you. Uh, thank you for joining us. We have a lot of information to cover today. And I think where we'll start is on Friday morning, FedEx pre-announced a horrible quarter, and I think that's kind of a precursor of what we're going to start to hear from a number of companies. And let's start Let's start there. I know it's starting on a, on a bad note, but we're going to end on a good note. Well, you know, many people see FedEx as a bellwether for economic activity, and essentially what happened there, I'm not so sure it's a, a, a an industry-wide phenomenon. They actually reported a slight a revenue miss, but an enormous earnings miss. So that suggests to us that they have cost pressures and a lack of pricing power in this environment. And that's fatal for a stock that has a has cyclical exposure. So as a result, the consensus estimate was at $1.5.14 for the quarter. They lowered that guidance to $3.44. So essentially, they did a billion more in revenues, but they actually made up $500 million less than they expected they would. And the reason why I brought that up is because we really haven't seen the earnings per share decreases that we had expected. And, you know, there's a lot of information out there, including uh, this hit from corporate taxes that that is expected to bring it down 2%. And of course, the Inflation Reduction Act that, you know, most economists say is inflationary in fact, but we're, we think we're going to start to see some downward pressure on earnings. And that was my point. Right. And, and the other point, too, is when we talk about the S&P earnings, we typically talk in aggregate. And if you strip out energy, actually earnings are down on a year-over-year basis, not just for the third quarter, but also for the second quarter as well. In addition to the FedEx thing, iPaper also guided down on on Friday. They talked about pricing pressures and inventories, and that would make sense given what we heard from FedEx. But again, it's a, you know every stock for himself, as they say, and that's what we got to focus on as earnings season approaches. And the big news, of course, is next week, the Fed is going to make their announcement. Is it 75 basis points? Is it 100 basis points? You know, We'll have to see. But more importantly, what does the Fed say afterwards? Do they start to see a peak inflation number? And where do we go from here? Powell definitely needs to balance that hawkish rhetoric to which she's been trying to manage investor expectations with reality on the ground. And we're clearly seeing signs, not just from companies like FedEx. We've heard about it from semiconductor companies. Uh, we've heard it in you know steel companies and so on. So the economy is definitely slowing, and it's slowing far more rapidly overseas than it is in our country. And we'll have to watch that. But the good news I wanted to point out, Derek, is that we one of the things that we do is we track this Cleveland Inflation Index. And it really shows that we've seen peak inflation over the next couple of months. We're going to start to see a reduction according to this index that we follow. Right. And that's partly because the comparisons against last year start to become increasingly difficult. So it's harder to sustain those types of year-over-year increases. But many of the components of CPI that we track have actually rolled over and are actually posting negative quarter-to-quarter and even year-on-year comparisons. The problem is in the rental area, just basically shelter and medical costs. Those two have been very persistent, and it's likely they'll remain so in the coming month. And when we talked about, you know, that it wasn't transient and that it's going to be 
stickier inflation that is, that we are going to see that. Well, we start to see that in wages, and wages are stickier. In fact, we had a big a big scare this week where we thought the rail uh, workers were going to go out on strike, and of course that would have had ripple effects, a tremendous ripple effects. So maybe that was averted. We'll see if that is in fact what happens. But that is where we talk about stickier. Wages are stickier, and that's what we're starting to watch. And and the settlement of that strike is probably going to lead, uh, lead other unions to consider striking, right? I mean, you have an administration that says they want to get inflation down, yet there they are helping to support a union asking for 14 to 15% wage increases. So there are a lot of dynamics in this market that are very challenging uh, from all sorts of perspective. It's it's really one of the more difficult environments that I've ever encountered, particularly given the fact that it's been really hard to balance the risk of stocks with fixed income when interest rates have been rising as well. Derek Felsky, Chief Investment Officer, Annex Wealth Management. Dave Spano, President and CEO. Got the guys for the rest of the hour. Stick around for that. If you're like anybody, when you're investigating, you always look at the website. Ours is great. AnnexWealth.com. Also, sign up for Axiom, which is a weekly newsletter. We're on social media. We can help. Head to our website. It's AnnexWealth.com. Click that Get Started button. This is Money Talk, the Annex Wealth Management Show. Right back on 620 WTMJ. Back on Money Talk, the Annex Wealth Management Show. The webinar, What Inflation Means for Your Money, happens Wednesday, noon Eastern, 11 o'clock Central. Details at AnnexWealth.com slash events. More details on that in full coming up with our presenters on the show. Derek Felsky, Chief Investment Officer, Annex Wealth Management, also in the studio today. Dave Spano, our President and CEO. Thank you, Danny. You know, Derek, you made a really good point uh, as we closed that last segment. There was correlation is usually negative between stocks and bonds, and we really haven't seen that this year. And you can go back to tightening cycles before, you know, 94, 99, 04, all of those times that the Fed had been very active. You know, the bonds are supposed to be ballast, if you will, and be have negative reaction to where the stocks are going. And we've seen that, but not this time, not, not this year. No, and, and we talked about the, the, the notion that when 10-year Treasury is yielding 1%, or as, I think it got as low as half a percent at one point, that owning that for protection was like picking up pennies in front of a steamroller, that the minute bad things started to happen on the inflation front, you'd have no protection, and that would trigger a Fed tightening cycle. So I think that was fairly obvious. And as an investment committee, we, you know, we've tried to sidestep it, but it's still pretty tough because fixed income investments are driven by interest rates, and every fixed income instrument has some duration risk, meaning interest rate risk. So by shortening up our duration, going towards credit and things of that nature, we shortened up our duration. So, yeah, we, we're down less than the ag bond index, but that still doesn't feel too great. Yeah, so and that's the reason why when you try to actively manage that, there's credit and there's duration. So that's that's called active management in the fixed income space. And I do want to move on to another particular topic that is really interesting. And that, of course, is we talked about peak inflation. And peak inflation, that we've seen some math to that, that could be a positive sign because, of course, as you just said, interest rates are tied to both equities and bonds and real estate for that matter. And if inflation peaks, perhaps interest rates will get to some number here in the near future that they'll start to level off. Right. I mean, the, the two-year note, which is what I track, I mean, people have asked me, you know, when will it be a better time to get involved with the stock market? And I said, when do you start to see that two-year yield start to decline? Because that suggests that, that even the two-year is sniffing out a slowdown, which will then cause the Fed to pause. Because as one of our uh, favorite fixed income managers likes to say, the two-year basically runs the Fed, not vice versa. Yeah, that's right. And of course, we also joke that it could be 
really easy to be a Fed governor because you just have to keep up to market rates. And right now, you know, where is parity? And that's what we're going to listen for uh, out of Powell next week. What's the number? Is it 4%? You know, we're trading in the twos today. So that does mean there, there's more interest rates to go up. But at some point, it peaks, and then the market's going to stiff that out on the equity side. Right, and that's what he needs to do. He needs to basically say that we're going to be watching the data. We know the economy's starting to slow. We're making progress against inflation. And that just will suggest to people, that, with not the, if not the fact that they're increasing rates, but the pace of the increases will slow. Because we talked a lot early last year about the, the biggest risk was the pace of the increases. And right now, the pace of the increase has been pretty pretty incredible, unprecedented in my career. And that's something that's caused the markets to be jittery. And you want some more good news, Danny? Of course, you'll remember that Madonna was in the movie and she said, don't cry for me, Argentina. Yeah, Look I at do. this headline right here. Read that out loud. Argentina to hike interest rates to 75% as inflation nears 100%. I'm not making that up. Nope. I wanted you to read that. You know, And Derek, that is unbelievable that Argentina has interest rates of 75% and inflation at 100. I mean, so here's the good news. We're not Argentina, right? So it really means that, what I really mean by that is, of course, there is there is problems around the world, including Europe, including Argentina, and that the United States continues to be the oasis. That's right. And that's, I think, something that explains the strength of the dollar, which is hampered, is also starting to hamper U.S. companies. One of the things we're going to hear a lot about during earnings season is how the effect of the higher currency is, has negatively affected profits. Historically, the stock market looks past that because they view currency translation expenses as kind of a wash over the long haul. But it will certainly put some downward pressure on earnings estimates, which is something we've actually wanted to see. You know, in order to, to justify, you know, a strong market going forward, you want earnings to trough and you'd want the market to anticipate that by a couple of months. So, Dave, you go to Derek for the markets and me for Madonna? Exactly. Right, well, thanks. you've been in the music business a long time, my friend. Folks, don't go it alone. Team up with Annex Wealth Management is a fee-only fiduciary. Top story bar none, inflation. How do we deal with it? Details next on a webinar that is fast approaching. This is Money Talk, the Annex Wealth Management Show, 620 WTMJ. Know the difference with Annex Wealth Management? Inflation isn't new. It's been around a lot longer than you might imagine. But the current inflationary environment is hitting hard with major impacts for everybody. The more we all know, the better prepared we can be to find ways to deal with it. Education is always important at Annex Wealth Management, and that's why we hold as many webinars as we do. We're going to talk about inflation here and give you details on an upcoming educational webinar. To set the stage, joined by Deanne Phillips, Director of Client Learning and Development, CFP, CDFA at Annex. Hey, Deanne. Hey there, Danny. Tom Parks, Director of Retirement Plan Services, Annex Wealth Management. Hey, Tom. Thanks for having me, Danny. So, Tom, take us to school. You're going to be the business professor here. Inflation isn't new. In fact, it goes back really far. That it does. We actually start talking about inflation back in Roman times to provide some perspective for people. So while some of the personal experiences we're having as it pertains to the current inflationary environment are new and unique, perhaps, to the time that we're living in, inflation itself is definitely not a new phenomenon. Was there a time that I read that you had to bring a wheelbarrow to bring your money to we buy do stuff? the weimar republic yes that is something that we talk about if you google that you'll see images all over the place all right so we're not alone but right now it's hurting in fact according to the polls deanne inflation that is a major concern it is probably the number one concern heading into this year's november midterm elections certainly Everyone's feeling it as a consumer. Yeah, and we're seeing that you're going to probably see political ads talking about it and things like that because of what the polls are showing is that it's one of the top, if not the top, concern that people have. 
Yeah, and we just saw a new inflation number in the form of CPI. It did not go down. That's consumer price index. That's a big issue. It, it is. The consumer price index increased about 0.1% in August, and excluding food and energy, the inflation gauge rose 0.6%. Now, both of those indices were higher than expected. Costs were driven by, not surprising, increase in food, shelter, medical care services. You know, and there, of course, has been a decline in gas prices as a relief. But boy, the rise in food has really offset that for consumers. And, you know, real average hourly earnings adjusted for inflation did rise 0.2% for the month, but they still remain down from a year ago. So the CPI has risen 8.3% right now, year over year. So for a consumer-driven economy, where 70% of the GDP is powered by consumer spending, high inflation has an impact, right? So gas prices have come down, but boy, we're, we, like you said, Deanne, we're just really writing big checks at the grocery store. It tightens wallet, but it also increases stresses. There's a human factor. Yeah, actually, Danny, I was looking at a thing that said that over 60% of Americans are living paycheck to paycheck, and it broke it down by income level, and over 40% of people who are earning households over $100,000 a year, over 40% of them are living paycheck to paycheck. So this is a a thing that is really being spread across the economy for sure. Deanne Phillips is joined by Tom Parks talking about our upcoming webinar on inflation. What is the Inflation Reduction Act of 2022 designed to do? And that's not a leading political question, but just what is it supposed to do? You have 20 minutes, Danny. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it was just signed into Congress by law in August of this year. It really is a slimmed down version of the Build Back Better legislation that the current administration campaigned on. But what it does is it lowers prescription drug costs, health care costs and energy costs. Those are the three areas it targets the most. It's the most aggressive action on tackling the climate crisis in American history. But none of this is going to happen soon Overnight. No, no, no. It lays out several years worth of energy credits, especially for the consumer and changes in the health care. Right. So we're sitting right now in a high inflationary time. Mm -hmm. People are getting squeezed. People are wondering what it is that they can do or should do. I got to ask a dumb question. Is inflation ever a good thing? A little bit can be good for the economy. So the FMOC, the Federal Open Market Committee, the Fed, right, they meet eight times a year to review economic and financial conditions, and they update their monetary policy strategy after each meeting. Now, they actually consider 2% to be a good, acceptable rate of inflation. Now, we're above that now because they've been moving the Fed funds target and doing interest rate raises. And sometimes they will target a higher number to ensure maximum employment. But right now, employment doesn't seem to be the issue. Yeah. So inflation itself isn't necessarily the bad thing. It's a question of how much and how does it fit in the overall economy. Like Deanne said, there is a target for inflation and it's above zero. So it's just really a matter of taking all these things into context. In the yeah, su- supply and demand need yep. a little inflation to be competitive. Well, one cure for inflation would be a recession, but we don't want that. Yeah, no. So um, inflation itself is not correlative to a recession. Now, many people are concerned that the Fed's raising of interest rate increases the likelihood of a recession, but it's important not to conflate the two issues. While the Fed's reaction to inflation could send us toward a recession, Inflation itself doesn't. So again, two mandates the Fed has. Keep their arms around inflation and make sure unemployment is low, which it is. All right. Let's learn something maybe that will help. We're hosting a webinar. In fact, you two are hosting it. And it happens next Wednesday. So it's coming up pretty quick. That's right, Danny. 
We are going to be doing it online, so we encourage people to sign up because obviously we can only scratch the surface with the information we're talking about here. We're going to get into greater detail not only about the Inflation Reduction Act, but kind of look at what's going on with inflation more in greater detail to give people some perspective and hopefully some insight into how they can give themselves some relief. And it's what inflation means for your money. It's Wednesday, September 21st at noon Eastern and 11 a.m. Central. You can register at AnnexWealth.com under the Events tab. Deanne Phillips, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. You too, Tom Parks. Thanks for having me, Danny. This is Money Talk, the Annex Wealth Management Show, Saturday, September 17th. Time for news. And for that, let's head to the WTMJ Breaking News Center. Know the difference? We are back. Time for Ask Annex. Sarah Kyle, Wealth Manager, Annex Wealth Management is back. Hey. Hey. And Randy Winkler, CFP and a Wealth Manager is back as well. Hi, Danny. Here's how this goes. If you got a question for us, we love to hear them. You don't have to put your name on the radio. we got a lot of anonymous on uh, the segment this time around. And we get back to everybody. Our first is anonymous. Coworker says that while house values add the net worth, it isn't a factor in my overall financial plan. Is that true? Yes, that is true. It's not factored in unless you sell it and don't buy another house. Because it doesn't produce any cash, we don't count it in the plan. Yeah, you'll always need a place to live. So unless you had two homes and you were selling one, then the house is part of your net worth, but it's not helping you reach your financial goals. I mean, obviously, besides pegging a number, does it have a purpose, net worth? It can. I know there's some places if you're going to get a loan or lines of credit, things like that, they're going to look at your net worth. For a lot of times, it's just milestones. You know, sometimes when people hit a million dollars or $10 million as a net worth, that's, a, that's kind of a cool moment. Next up is from Ted. Should an investment double every eight years? I haven't heard that one in a while. <laughs> yeah, that, that's a fun one. You'd have to earn 9% to double your money uh, every eight years. What I think he's referring to here is the rule of 72. So if you take the number 72 and divide it by the interest rate you're getting, that'll tell you approximately how long it'll take to double your money. So for example, if you were getting 1%, 72 divided by one, it would be 72 years. If you're getting 10%, it's 7.2 years. It's just kind of a good rule of thumb, and I think it's a good way to take a look at, uh, especially if you're younger, how many doubles do you have? So if I speak with somebody younger, I like to say, well, let's assume that you can get 7% and you're 30. How many 10-year periods do you have for your money to double before you're going to retire? I'd say 60. So it gives you a good idea of what's going to happen if you don't do anything else starting where you're at. If you add money to it, it's going to obviously help the plan. Next up is from Phil. Thanks for the show. You've had several recent stories of inheritances, and I'd like to offer the advice to not make decisions too rapidly in light of any grief one might be experiencing. I've seen people make wrong decisions. I'm interested in your take on this. Yeah, this one we've seen, unfortunately, often uh, where people have a a death and they're grieving and they think they have to make some decisions or they make a decision and then they regret it later. Um, Most of the time, there's nothing really urgent that has to happen. You can take the time and your your wealth team should be able to help you through that. The only time I've seen where there is some urgency is if the person who dies is receiving an RMD, dies near the end of the year and hasn't taken the RMD yet. That's where there can be a little bit of a time crunch because you have to open up the beneficiary IRA, get the account transferred, take the RMD to avoid the penalty for not doing so. But again, if you're working with a wealth team, they'll be able to help you through that and let you know what's urgent and what isn't. Mm -hmm. And I think it's a rule of thumb is to wait a year before making any big decisions after a death. I've seen it firsthand with a relative where his wife passed away and a month later he sold his business thinking, oh, now my wife passed away, I'm going to go travel. Well, then he really realized he had nobody to travel with. In reality, he should have kept the business and put more time into the business. So yeah, I would say rule of thumb, wait at least a year before making any big decisions, selling the house, selling a business or things like that. Good advice, guys. And thanks for the question, Phil. Mike asks, if 
Five two nines. Lump sum, if I can, or should I spread out the contributions? I've got about 10K to start. Well, this is an interesting question based on the timing of when it's being asked. Because normally I would say, if I was going to give a rule of thumb, which I don't particularly like, probably dollar cost average into the market because you're going from cash. You don't want to put it all in and have the market tank. And then you've got a, at least a short-term loss. If you're doing it today, if he was asking this question today, I'd probably say put it all in because the market's cooperating by putting everything on sale for you. But you also want to factor in your time frame. When are you going to need the money? Do you have time to take advantage of the, the volatility of the market? But uh, these are all the questions I'd ask before giving guidance on when to invest that money and, and over what time frame. And our last one on Ask Annex, also anonymous, I-bonds, high-yield savings, or CDs right now if I want to be super careful? Why not all three? You know, they're all good. All depends on your time frame, your risk tolerance, and your liquidity needs. The I bonds and the CDs, there's going to be a holding period where the high yield savings is very liquid. High yield savings are not so much at brick and mortar locations. That would be online places, Randy? Yeah, online banks and some other institutions, typically because they don't have the expenses and overhead of a building, they can offer higher rates. And some of them are getting to be you know, pretty attractive these days. Due diligence for sure. Yeah, right? do some investigation, make sure that it's a legitimate organization, uh, that they're FDIC insured, and uh, that you're, you're making a good choice. Sarah Kyle, Wealth Manager, Annex Wealth Management, thank you. You bet. Randy Winkler, CFP and a Wealth Manager, thank you. You're welcome, Danny. This is Money Talk, the Annex Wealth Management Show. Going to be right back on 620 WTMJ. Know the difference with Annex Wealth Management, and right at the top, I'm going to go on record as being an official baby boomer. On one side of the boomers is the silent generation, preceded by the greatest generation, but on the other side is Generation X, which for the oldest members of Generation X are now about 10 years out from traditional retirement. So I'm joined by Keith Butler, a wealth manager at Annex Wealth Management. Keith, you a boomer or an Xer? Are you saying I don't look like a millennial? Uh, okay. <laughs> I'm uh, on the very young end of uh, the baby boomer. Yeah, me too. Yeah. All right. There's new research report focusing specifically on Gen X, their financial situation, how they plan, how ready are they for retirement. The headline is they've got some catching up to do. Have you seen the same thing? I have, Danny. And, you know, uh, while I don't pass myself off as an expert on generations, I have done some studying on this topic because it became of great interest to us uh, back when I was in a private practice of law. And I think we need to take a step back and say, why? You know, before we start analyzing this, is why? are generations different? Why do baby boomers happen to have a certain ways about them? Generation Xers, a little bit different, the silent before then. And if you look back, it really comes down to how you're raised, the effects of the world around you. For example, greatest generation grew up during the, the Depression. Yep. When I was a little kid, you know, my father grew up in great poverty in Missouri. I, it was drilled into me to this day about not wasting. It bothers me to throw away food. You just didn't waste. So these are things that are ingrained in kids, and they're often based on the experiences that they have. Now, we as boomers, most of our parents in the baby boom were the greatest generation. And most of the parents of Generation Xers were the silent generation. Now, there was a, a shift because when you and I were, were little kids, Danny, and in my neighborhood, it's all of the mothers were at home. None of them were. But when we went out to play, we just went out to play. There were, there were no play dates. You know, we were just real, seven, eight, nine years old. We're running around the neighborhood with our friends. When it's lunchtime, they call us. And come and, in by the time the streetlights come on. And exactly right. That affects your perception of the world. Now, one of the things that we found is that the silent generation, much more so than the 
greatest generation, got divorced. You have a lot of kids that are millennials, much more so than, than baby boomers, that grew up in a household where they may become what we call latchkey kids. You know, when they were in what is now middle school, was in junior high school, perhaps. As a result of that, what we found is that they have a little bit less trust in the future. How that manifested itself when we were looking at this at the law firm is we couldn't quite figure out why the compensation structure was that, you know, you get a salary and then a bonus based on your own productivity and how the firm does and so on and so forth. They didn't like that. They didn't like bonuses. They wanted the money now because they didn't trust the future. They did not trust that bonuses would be there. And it was just kind of contrary to how we expect. We couldn't figure that out. And when we look at how Generation Xers are preparing for retirement, a lot of times you'll hear them say, Social Security, well, if it's there, that they, they don't really have that sort of faith and trust in the future. And that's something I think is, is based a bit on, on the upbringing. Are they behind the eight ball? I mo- most of the data that I've seen says they, they are. A little bit, yeah, they are. It, it, it's probably not too late. They shouldn't dally around too much. I think this is the time to get your financial future in order and to start with a financial plan, even if you are on the younger end of Generation X and you think, well, I got a lot of years, you know, 10, 15, 20 years before I'm going to be retiring. You want to plan for that now because you don't want to have to catch up at the very end. Well, the oldest members of Generation X are roughly 55, 56, right? So they're in that zone. They're probably making pretty good money, but they've got other financial obligations. Mm -hmm. But it's not like the retirement runway is in sight, but it's looming in the distance. It is. It is absolutely there, and it gets there faster than you'd ever believe. It happens quick. It does. We're with Keith Butler, a wealth manager at Annex Wealth Management. Another really surprising thing that I saw is Gen X reports the lowest level of interaction with financial professionals, mm-hmm. only 27%. Yeah, that's really surprising. And again, as you point out, this is the time when they really should be starting to get their ducks in a row as we prepare for retirement. What are the things that they can be or at least should be thinking about with roughly 10 years before retirement? I think it's setting goals, figuring out what is important to you. One other societal shift has been baby boomers are more into spending money on things. And when you get to Generation X and certainly millennials, millennials for sure, spending money yep. on experience, how that plays out. So I think it's, it's figuring out what your goals are, where you want to get to. Is legacy important to you? Uh, some people, they, they really want to leave something to their kids. Others, it's like, man, I've already provided for them. We're, we're, we're worrying about us. So I think it's setting some goals and making sure you do kind of the, the easy, basic blocking and tackling. Like, for example, deferring to a 401k plan at least is enough to get your maximum match because that's just free money. And that goes right toward your retirement. Work longer. I mean, a, a lot of people, you know, there's retirement, quote unquote. But now there's also retirement, you know, the uh, second, second phase, retirement. Yeah, yeah. yeah, second phase. I, I, this morning I dropped off my car to car dealer and got a, a drive here from somebody. That's that's what he's doing. Yep. He's driving the car. He, you know, now he doesn't have the pre- a pressure job. He doesn't have to use discretion. Just Pick this guy up and take him here. And that brings in a little bit of money, maybe some benefits, and that's something that can help your your retirement plan after your normal, you know, professional retirement. Keith, one of the things would be really, and this is what we do, but sit down with a financial planner and get a plan in place because a lot of these unknowns or a lot of these, well, I'll, I'll kind of push them down the tracks a little bit, will become a whole lot more clear. Well, one thing that, that people have to keep in mind is that, you know, some people say, I heard that you need X dollars to retire. You need a million dollars to retire. You need a million and a half dollars to retire. Well, that's nonsense because that is one part of a very complicated equation. There is how much money you have, how much money you will be receiving in Social Security, or maybe have a pension. You know, government employees, union employees have really nice pensions. Um, How much you spend. If anybody says you need to do this, 
you know, that that's just not true. There's too many parts to the equation, and that can only be accomplished by going through a sophisticated financial plan with an advisor. We do it investment, retirement planning, tax planning, and estate planning, and we do it as a fee-only fiduciary. Know the difference? Website, AnnexWealth.com. Click that Get Started button. Start the wealth metric process. Keith Butler, Wealth Manager at Annex Wealth Management, thanks for joining us. Oh, my pleasure, Danny. Our goal is to make it easy to meet with us. We've got a bunch of different branches, too. Elm Grove, Lake Country, Mequon, Appleton, downtown Milwaukee, inside the Pfister. We're in Madison, Naples, Florida, and Libertyville, Illinois. We're as close as your computer at AnnexWealth.com. Back in a bit on Money Talk, the Annex Wealth Management Show, 620 WTMJ. We're back to things. This show will be on the Annex Wealth Management Spotify channel if you came in late. Also... The webinar, What Inflation Means for Your Money, happens on Wednesday, noon Eastern, 11 o'clock Central. You can register at AnnexWealth.com slash events. I'm Danny Clayton, Derek Felsky, our Chief Investment Officer in the studio. Dave Spano is President and CEO of Annex Wealth Management. You know, Danny, a lot of these market drops are common, and I know people don't really remember those things, but, you know, the S&P 500, we'll have to remind people, was up 31% in 2019 Eighteen percent in 2020. I mean, after that big drawdown, and 29 percent in 2021. And I know that the average stock is down right now. Market turbulence sticks with us all the way up this mountain. Right, and when you look at things over a rolling 10-year period, the stock market return has been truly extraordinary, well above the rate of inflation, which is the key goal. The other thing is, in midterm election years, we did mention the average drawdown is roughly 17%. And right now, as of the close of trading on Friday, we're down 19% from the high we made in January. So part of the problem is all of the decline occurred this year, right? We made a high in January. We're where we're at now. So it's not like a year-over-year comparison that perhaps feels a little bit better when you look at your annual returns. But generally speaking, it's at times like these that you you actually rebalance. You look at the opportunities that are existing. You know, for example, one sector that tends to do well when earnings growth is starting to moderate is healthcare because people will still need healthcare procedures. COVID is hopefully a little bit out of the a thing of the past, so people are going to go for elective surgeries and the like. Innovation is something the United States leads the world, and there are many reasonable advice companies in pharmaceuticals and medical devices and healthcare services that are attractive. And you just think about not only that, but you know, markets in general are cyclical, and they look at a lot of the news that may have already been out there. You know, the pricing of high inflation, the fact that rates have gone higher, that we're going to a low growth environment, and, and and energy prices, all of those things, the market knows this already. What they don't know is where the interest rate rises stop. And that's the reason why we want to look at this information. Right. And one of my favorite books was a book that Peter Lynch, who was the legendary manager of Magellan, wrote. Uh, this is a long, long time. It called One Up on Wall Street. And one of the things he always said was, was when an analyst came into his office and made the point that he liked this particular stock because of this particular view on the economy, he would kick the guy out. And the reason he would do that that is the stock market already has a better idea what the economy is doing than that guy did. He wants to know about franchise businesses that can grow and generate cash flow and pay out dividends. You know, funny, you you bring up uh, Peter Lynch from Magellan. And of course, one of the companies that he liked in his book was The Gap because uh, one of his kids went to the mall in like The Gap store. But The Gap also made a lot of news this week. Uh, If you didn't see that, Kanye West, of course, had a deal with Gap and he made a big splash about ending that relationship, which of course at the 
the same time the Gap was down 7.5%. I think he's going to make a play to have his own retail stores. Well, and he also made a, a great comment, which I just have to repeat if you haven't heard this. He goes, I don't argue about money with people who are broker than me. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> That's right. It was a funny interview with the glasses and the hat. But, but Yeezy came up with that. It was that down jacket that didn't it didn't zip up, right. which if you've seen any kids in the winter, they don't wear them anyway. That's right. Exactly right. So, of course, now, folks, this is the time, as Derek just pointed out, that you do the hard work because average drawdowns are around 11 months. Well, this started in January. We're on the verge of going into October. So maybe the downturn it will be an average downturn, and maybe it's 11%. And remember, the stock markets look ahead sometimes six or nine months. So perhaps there's a bottom uh, in our future, but the way to handle that is not try to time the market, but as Derek said, is to rebalance, is to start to dollar cost average, and that would probably be some good moves right here. Right, and, and that's something we do with our wealth managers. You know, we, we send out weekly talking points about what we're seeing in the markets, what we've done recently with the portfolios from an investment committee perspective, and then once a month we go on a deeper dive, and, and that's really to provide them with the behavioral coaching capabilities they need, because, you know, money's emotional, and no one likes to see a negative statement, but in the long run, and if you're not a trader and you're an investor, in the long run, the U.S. economy tends to grow, and as Dave, you pointed out many, many times, it's undefeated. Yeah, that's right. 33 in O in downturns. And really, Danny, that's really the takeaway that I want people to hear uh, today is the fact that this is a downturn and there's no question it's painful, especially if you're near or in retirement right now. The more important piece of this is that this too shall pass is that you set up your portfolio for the recovery coming up. That is what you need to do. And you can do that today. Folks, we have spent the last hour given great examples of how Annex Wealth Management can be your partner. But I got to tell you, we only scratched the surface on this radio show. I mean, this is a great source for information. We love that both clients and non-clients are listening. But get the whole story. Spend a minute or two. Fill out that contact form when you click that Get Started button. Now is the time Annex Wealth Management is ready. If you're working with somebody else, it's great to have a second look. If you're a do-it-yourselfer, can we help get you across the finish line? You've heard all of our team experts talking about how complex things can be. It all needs to work together, and it needs to work for you, and we would love to do it. Again, the website, AnnexWealth.com. Click that Get Started button. See you back here next Saturday, 10 o'clock. This is Money Talk, the Annex Wealth Management Show, 620 WTMJ.